Today we'll see an echo of Eden, a son dishonor his father, and blessings and curses that will alter the future of humanity. On The Bible Brief. Every week he'd been tasting it. He'd spent months, or was it years, on this project. First he'd made some implements for his new cultivation endeavor. Then he found just the right seeds and put them in a row. After that, he waited. Month after month, until finally the little plants started to have more solid stems and began to branch outward. But still he waited. Until one day, he finally saw the beginnings of the little fruit. They were showing themselves on each of the plants. And many weeks later, it was finally time for the harvest. Noah was getting excited, but he wasn't done yet. After gingerly taking each of the ripened fruit off of the vine, he put them in a bucket and began to crush the fruit. He could almost taste it now, but he was still a few months away. But every week, he tasted it. Until finally, after months of work, he finally tasted the finished product. Noah had made the first wine in the new world. He'd had the first vineyard, and for a time, it was the best vineyard on planet Earth. Noah, his wife, his sons, and his daughters-in-law had been off the ark for a while now, and life was getting back to a new sort of normal. As normal as it could get for the new founding family of humanity. Normal enough for Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, to begin having families of their own. And so this little remnant of humanity, who God had saved from the flood, they began to expand. And in the course of time, Noah decided that it was time that he work the ground. After all, that's what his great-grandfather Adam, ten generations ago, had done. He worked the ground after being cast out of the garden that God had planted for him. So Noah decided what better than to plant a vineyard, an innocent enough profession for his remaining days on the earth. But this vineyard that Noah planted becomes the context for the first major fall among these humans in the new world. A new kind of garden and a new kind of fruit. Let's start reading in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, and he became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. Noah's new endeavor turns to irresponsibility, as he drinks in excess and becomes drunk, something the Bible later condemns over and over as a reckless and sinful thing to do. And not only is he drunk, but in his drunkenness he takes off all his clothes so that he's naked in his tent. As we know, and as Noah soon understands, this sort of behavior can have unintended consequences. Consequences that echo for generations. So Noah is in a drunken stupor, and he's taken off his clothes so that he's just lying there naked, until someone walks into the tent, and it's not Noah's wife. Let's keep reading. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Here we see Noah's youngest son, Ham, walk into Noah's tent and see his father lying there drunk and naked. Noah is exposed, and Ham is presented with a choice. What does he do with his father in this shameful state? 
Does he turn around, leave the tent, and just act like nothing ever happened? Maybe locking the tent door on the way out? Does he try to find his mother and discreetly tell her about Noah's current state so she can deal with it? Does he immediately close his eyes and try to get his father to put on some clothes? Well, let's just say that he does something dishonorable instead. He leaves the tent and begins spreading the news. As if his father is a spectacle to be enjoyed instead of a sinner to be pitied. Instead of honoring his father, he makes known his father's dishonored state. We read that the first thing that he does is he tells his two older brothers outside, who it turns out have more sense and respect than their younger brother. They quickly hatch a plan. Next we read, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now I want you to notice something here that we're supposed to see in Shem and Japheth that we don't see in their younger brother Ham. We see something like godliness, a quality that shows a moral sensitivity where they're more like God than their brother is. How can we say that for sure? Well, because they provide the same thing for their father Noah that God provided to Adam and Eve. They provided a covering for his nakedness. Instead of leaving Noah exposed, they proactively cover his nakedness and shame. They maintain a semblance of their father's honor instead of making light of his exposure like Ham had done. They chose a gracious approach and provided a covering. Well, soon, Noah wakes up from his drunken stupor. And let's read something monumental that Noah says once he's sobered up. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, there's a lot here, so we're going to take it in three parts. One curse, and two blessings. First, the curse. Noah says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And listener, you may be thinking to yourself, wasn't Ham the brother who looked upon Noah's nakedness? Who's Canaan that Noah is talking about? Well, you're right. Ham is the youngest of the three brothers. But in the passage, we're reminded a few times that Ham is the father of Canaan. So Canaan here is the grandson of Noah. And Noah is cursing his grandson because of what Ham, his son, had done. Canaan shall be a servant of servants, the lowliest of slaves. Now, what did Canaan do to deserve this curse rather than his father? Well, in the passage, nothing. There's a chance he was involved in his father's actions in some way that's just not recorded in the text. But more likely, Noah is cursing with a sort of symmetry to what had happened to him. Since Noah's youngest son had violated his honor, Ham's youngest son would suffer a curse. Rather than curse Ham and all his children, Noah only cursed Ham's youngest son. And we need to note something critical about this curse. It's more of a national than an individual curse. That is, Noah is saying something about the descendants of Canaan, 
more than he's cursing Canaan individually. Nationally, Canaan will be a servant of servants, a slave to other people groups. As a general rule, they will be servants or slaves rather than masters. And who will be their masters? Well, that leads us to the first blessing. Blessing number one, the blessing of the eldest son. Noah says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Notably, the descendants of Canaan will be servants to the descendants of Shem. That's how this blessing ends. But there at the beginning, we also have something very interesting. Noah blesses God and calls God the God of Shem. While this may seem somewhat meaningless at first glance, it's actually a critical clue for us regarding where the narrative of the Bible goes from here. Noah, in calling God the God of Shem, is saying that Shem will carry on the godly heritage of Noah. God will be honored as God among the genealogical line of Shem. From within the Shemites, God will achieve his promises. So by the end of the curse and the first blessing, we know that, one, the Canaanites, those descended from Canaan, will be servants. And two, the God of Shem will be honored among the descendants of Shem, and Canaan will be a servant to Shem. And finally, we get to blessing number two, the blessing of the middle son. Noah says, May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. As a paraphrase, Noah is blessing Japheth in a few ways here. He's going to have lots of descendants and lots of territory. And eventually, his descendants will, quote, dwell in the tents of Shem. A picture of inclusion in some way among the Shemites. And finally, Canaan will be his servant too. One curse, two blessings. Now, listener, you may say, wow, this is great information, but what exactly do I do with this? Well, you need to remember three things from this that are very important to the story moving forward. Without them, you'll miss some critical connections in the Bible. First, Canaan is cursed, and we'll see this play out with his descendants. Canaan is cursed. Second, God will accomplish his promises among the descendants of Shem. And coming soon in the story, we'll see one Shemite to whom God will make some of the greatest promises in the Bible. And third, eventually, a large population of Japhethites will come to dwell in the tents of Shem. A picture that becomes clearer if we leap forward a few thousand years as the God of the Jewish Shemites becomes the God of non-Jews as well. However, before the realization of this curse and these blessings, before all these descendants of Noah become the nations and peoples that bear their names, something else happens in the Bible. Something that causes a rift in culture and a rift among nations. A rift that we see even to this day. A division of language. A fundamental difference in tongue from one place to another. And this fundamental change occurs at a famous tower. A tower built to the heavens, the pinnacle of human ingenuity and achievement, a tower of genius, and a tower of disobedience. Join us next time 
as we see the great division of humanity at the Tower of Babylon. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible.